Welcome to the WCAPS Vibe podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies, and grow together. Vibe. Vision. Impact. Voice. Engagement. Hi there, everyone. Aisha White here. I'm a member of WCAPS, and the WCAPS Art Forum will be launching an ongoing series about how art shapes social movements. We'll specifically be looking at the intersection of art and public policy. I'm a member of WCAPS, as I just mentioned, and I'm also an arts administrator researcher, and I focus on the intersection of art and social impact. I currently work at Halcyon Arts Lab, which is an incubator for artists at that very intersection. And through that, I've gotten to work with some amazing artists, including the one we're going to be talking to today, Ashley Freeby. Ashley is currently a part of Cohort 3 and bringing together for about 10 months now. Ashley, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, first and foremost. And then, yeah, I'm Ashley Freeby. I'm a visual artist. I've been creating work for about five to six years now. And in addition to that, I'm a full-time graphic designer. That's kind of been my career path for oh, 14 years now. But I decided to, a few years ago, follow, follow my passion as an art maker, a maker of things. And so I've been pursuing art adventures and my education falls within the realm of art and so yeah I've just been like using art as a form to express the things that I think are important. That's amazing and especially since you've only been doing this for so many years and already producing some amazing impactful work that we'll jump into in a bit but do you want to talk a bit more about your practice and the areas that it seems to focus on? Yeah my work is really rooted and based in data and research. That has always been a really important part of my practice is to make work that is based in truth. And so I use data and research to kind of back up what is what what comes from the objects that I'm producing. And so my my work is based in sculpture and installation, but I use a lot of minimal aesthetics to create very streamlined and I would say pleasing to look at objects with a very specific color palette. Color is kind of something that I always steer away from, even in designing. But yeah, so I just really, really love clean lines, grids, you know. Yeah. Rectangles are (laughs) very, very important to me. But overall, I would say that the work is about memory and it's about the death of black people and the injustices that uh, keep happening to our people and I use kind of these objects and these minimal aesthetics to bring back bring back life to the victims who have been taken by police shootings yeah yeah that's such a contrast the like minimal aesthetics to this very very heavy concepts that sort of hold a lot of duality. And do you want to talk about that series in particular? Yeah, so I think the it shows up the most, I think, in the segment series where I'm creating bricks, which are rectangle-shaped, little earth mounds, if you will. So they're brick-shaped 
and they're made out of dirt and soil and gravel and grass seed. And so they have a life cycle of their own. They start out very clean and kind of perfectly brick-shaped. And then as they grow over time, the, and as the elements are exposed, as they're exposed to the elements, uh, they start to break down and they dry out and start to crumble. And so I'm using kind of this, this process as a way to kind of talk about the, the human life cycle and how we all go through these stages of life. Um, but each of those segments is dedicated to a Black person who's been shot and killed by a police officer. So if COVID would not have, you know, taken over the world, <laughs> we, yeah. this summer uh, in June, I would have had the largest scale installation of the segment series to date. And so the plan for that was to install 1,156 segments, uh, which was pretty close to the number of known shootings from uh, 2015 to 2019. Wow, that's a massive number. Where do you get your information from and what sort of brought you to wanting to do that? The, the data comes from a few different sources. So Fatal Force by the Washington Post, Mapping Police Violence, um, and oh, there's another one. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> fatal, <laughs> it's another fate. It's not Fatal Force. Fatal Encounters. Fatal mm. Encounters. So those are three really good databases that are collecting the names of victims, the names of victims of all races in all walks of life and compiling them into like downloadable databases. And so I've been using those three sources to kind of collect my data as well. And there's been, I've started to cross list those three lists to see if there's any like inconsistencies throughout. Wow. Um, where did the segment series come from? Did they, like, what birthed this idea for you and what made you want to create monuments to these victims? It's been a slow progression throughout my work, kind of since 2015. I started thinking about the site of the trauma very specifically through a photograph. And somehow along the way, I started to thinking about what happens, what happens to the earth as a body lays there lifelessly. And so that, that realm of thinking started after I really, let me start over. No, you're doing great. But yes, feel free. <laughs> so the, the realm of thinking through the, the segment series started really around after I started, I visited the site where Michael Brown was shot and killed. That location, kind of standing there where there's a visible marker in the road because of the road being removed and replaced, which was a request of the family. This idea of excavating trauma to, for whatever reason, I thought was a beautiful thought, but also made me think about what happens to the surface, what happens below the surface at sites of trauma when a body kind of lays there for hours such as Michael Brown's did and so yeah that's how the the segment arose was from thinking about what happens under the surface oh that's amazing 
heavy stuff. So this series and a lot of your work sort of working with this materials was growing in the installation by the people, but then you were saying COVID hit and then what happened next? Yeah, so COVID hit and everything was kind of either canceled or pushed online. And so kind of at the same time, an opportunity through Gallery 102 in DC came up and I had the opportunity to be part of their solo exhibition, solo summer solo exhibition series, which would have overlapped with By the People, the installation. And so I was already thinking about Unsterile Soil, this exhibition that would have overlapped with the installation as the more of the research-based side of the segment series. And so those two exhibitions for By the People and that Gallery 102 would have overlapped and really kind of dug into the research and the objects in a mass quantity. So because of COVID, Unsterile Soil moved online and it became a virtual exhibition. And for me, I didn't necessarily want that opportunity to take on the form of a virtual tour, uh, kind of like through the gallery space. I really wanted to use this opportunity to explore something different and just try something out. And it really, I think it's pushed me to use website in a form that I haven't really thought about uh, as an art medium before. Because you're a graphic designer and you work with them really regularly. <laughs> yeah, I try, try to keep those things separate sometimes. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. <laughs> but no, it came up and Andy, the gallery director at uh, Gallery 102, and I kind of really had a discussion about what form this could take and how it would live within the digital realm. And so we both kind of decided to make unsterile soil its own domain. And so it was not going to be attached to the Gallery 102 website. And that was for multiple reasons for me to kind of still have access to it after the, sh the show, the exhibition ends. And so that I can continue to use unsterile soil in whatever way I plan to in the future. And so theoretically right now, people can go to unsterilesoil.online to view the work. Yes, they can. It's been evolving over the course of the last seven weeks. So the show opened in on June 1st and has been evolving since then. So each week, every Monday, a new horizon is released. And in each horizon, in each horizon there's been kind of themes uh, that are tied to specific works that I've created over the last five years. Did you so, go into a bit about the horizons themselves and what they mean? Yeah. So the horizons come from soil profiles, which is directly related to the segment series. So the segment is a soil profile in its own regards. And I kind of hung on to that idea of the horizons for the soil profile for the way that the content would be released for unsterile soil. So there just happened to be six horizons and there was seven weeks of the exhibition. So the first week became an intro week. And then every week after that was a different horizon. So horizon C, which was about the site and the memory and the 
the weight or the, the weight that is still held at those sites. The next horizon was O, which is about the, the role of the media, that the role of the media and how they often criminalize or do not show the victim in the light that may, they don't show the victim in a way, or they show the victim as a form of a criminal rather than a victim, is what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. B, Horizon B was by the land and it was the issue at large, which has a great video by Rohan. Oh, I don't know how to say Rohan's name. <laughs> He's a spoken word poet. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a really great video. Horizon A is about the access and fear of play. This horizon was a collaboration between me and my normal collaborator. And we really worked together to create this horizon in the unique style that we, that in the unique style that our collaboration already plays. Horizon E is based on the memorialization on the, wait, Horizon E is based on the excavation of site and the memorialization surrounded that excavated site. Horizon R is kind of looking at memorialization through objects or memorialization through a, a memorial, uh, in a sense. Mm, and so each one, they're sort of responding to themes of the work and it's paired with um, photographs and videos. Could you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so each horizon focuses on a work that I've created in the last five years. And so the exhibition, I still want, you know, it was still a solo show or it's still a solo exhibition for me. And so it was important that I would still show uh, my work, even though I was kind of working with a, a writer for each horizon. Mm -hmm. And so the basis of the horizon was surrounded by the work that I thought would fall in that horizon. And then kind of along the way, I showed some newish work in progress work. So there's a video in Horizon C that is using Google Earth as a way to explore or as a way to take the viewer to each location that I've put in the video. That's great. And so we sort of talked about the content overall. And I think what's fascinating about all of your work is that it plays a really key role in the intersection of art and social impact. And when we think about art like this, it sort of expands outside of the typical context of the gallery and the art world to sort of have a conversation with a much, much larger audience, which is policy and the public. So do you have any thoughts on the intersection of art and public policy or art and social justice overall? I think recently I've been thinking a lot about this given the, the climate that we're currently in. I don't, necessarily think that or let me start by saying I think that this is a moment to kind of change and think about the way that art and policy intersect and thinking about the role of arts and culture institutions and how you know they they have this job or role to invite me or anyone as an artist into their institution to show work and by showing the work that kind of automatically means that you support the themes or the issue behind the work and so 
if you, I think that this is an opportunity to kind of challenge the resources that come from an institution if someone is interested in showing your work and using that platform as a way to reach a different audience or reach those policymakers to bring them into the conversation through art. And so I don't know if that makes sense, but that's something that I've been kind of thinking about because a lot of these institutions have the funds, they have the brain power, and they have the, you know, they have, most of them have incredible staffs. And how can we use their resources and their brain power to kind of push the, the issues that the work is honoring and promoting to reach a different audience other than art? Yeah, definitely. Because institutions aren't neutral, which a lot of museums will like to play the role of saying we are just a platform, but it might be time for us to engage as like an art administrator myself more deeply with like the content, whether that's educating the staff or doing better like outreach. And I think it was great. We did a tour with WCAP's policy, just community of your installation at the opening Mm -hmm. exhibition. So more content and opportunities for dual conversations. Probably a great idea. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Even just like bringing in, having an artist talk, but inviting someone else into that discussion is maybe one of the easiest or simplest things to do. I don't think that just because we're artists and we're in kind of this realm of an art institution, that it doesn't necessarily always have to be the discussion around art. Totally. And expanding, like, let's expand that conversation. Yeah. I also think it brings a new... That's the interesting about socially engaged art. It's not really about the galleries. It's about how can you get more and different types of people to engage with this concepts outside of the four white walls. Just make it, I don't know, a deeper conversation and more accessible. Yeah. 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 Well, then that sort of brings us to the audience of your work. And maybe we covered a lot on this, but what is the effect of like, having a non-arts audience engage with arts context? Like, how do you sort of have that conversation? Uh, that's a good question, Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it, I have an answer because I don't know if it's actually something that has happened mm. in, my, in my work. I think it's something that I would like to engage with and I'd like to kind of bring other voices into my into my work and to Mm. have those discussions so I'm not I don't necessarily know if that's happened yet I'm going to challenge you on that because I feel like (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the minimalist aesthetic is what makes it really approachable for you like you aren't hiding behind a ton of art speak or complex theories it's something so minimal yet complex at the same time which makes it really like accessible these this is the profound, I don't, it's death. <laughs> You're working with death and you've made it to the point where I can look at this and feel the extent of like this person's life and memory and still understand the concept and also be able to digest it. And maybe that is the point. I don't know. I'm just ad-libbing at this point, but. Yeah, I think, I think you have a point there. There is, there is something very, I've, I want to say, I, yeah, okay, I'll say that it's a beautiful reaction. And it makes me feel like I'm doing what 
I have planned to do. And so by using the minimal aesthetics, I'm not showcasing a body. The use of a rectangle, I think, um, for me, alludes to the body because we associate the rectangle with so many things. You know, the mattress that we sleep on is rectangle. The coffin that we are buried in is rectangle. And so the the rectangle shape is actually important to to the work, even though I just am obsessed with rectangles. (laughs) (laughs) But creating something that is beautiful that anyone can look at is where the art for me sets. Like I, I can do that. That is something that I'm very capable of doing. But then applying the data and the research to that object is like a gut punch to some people and watching that happen is incredible because it the segments themselves are often referenced to dessert they look they look like (laughs) they look very dessert like and I've gotten that that comment kind of a lot But then when you kind of discover what they're about and what they're for and who they're for, that's a completely different reaction to them. And that that is the the challenge of all of the things that I make. And I've set that up for myself to kind of undertake because I think for me, it's important never to reshow the body. And that's something that has stayed true and will continue to stay true kind of in my practice. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to guide people through now two installations of yours and one workshop as well. And it's just watching people, they're just like drawn to the segments because they're they're stunning objects. They're so interesting. They're like living creatures inside the gallery. And then they're just like, oh, this is cute. And then they slowly learn and read the poetry that you sometimes install with it. And it's just that transformation of just understanding is I don't know. It's been a gift to watch, but also just fascinating to experience. Yeah, I think it's also interesting the fact that there's just like dirt in the gallery. Like, <laughs> yeah, that in itself is weird, but it's also just like beautiful dirt. You know? Yeah, it's not messy in the way that dirt tends to be. They're very clean. They kind of hold themselves together to a certain extent, uh, and I think that is. I think that in addition to kind of the way that I install them. So a lot of times I install them on the floor so that it's a navigable space. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kind of like uh, thinking about grids of a cemetery is the the inspiration behind the installation of the segments. Mm. And so they become these really small, low objects on the floor that you have to walk through in a very specific pattern and then also have to you want to really look at them you have to get low and that that engagement is also something that I'm really kind of always thinking about is how to create a space that navigates my audience and makes them interact with the work like pull them into a certain to a certain experience that they might have familiar familiarity with Mm -hmm. yeah it's that yeah that makes me think about so what was the huge number of segments the goal was for by the people installation again 1156 
And I sort of remember sitting down with you and we're, I don't know, beginning to understand how massive that number was back in like January. And we are just like, how are we going to make these? So we started thinking about doing workshops and mm-hmm. we sort of tested one at an creative lab, open studios after hours night. And that was a really interesting interaction to watch, like mostly children playing with these like soil segment pieces and trying to build their own. How was that in terms of public engagement? It was interesting. I think what is interesting about the word workshop is that, I don't know, it seems like children are always more geared to do it, mm-hmm. which wasn't my necessary, like, I, I don't know, I wasn't like looking or expecting it to turn out that way. And so having kids make those segments was really, I'm not sure. I wasn't, it was interesting. It didn't feel, it felt like they were just doing it to make the thing. Play with dirt. Play, play with dirt. dirt. Yeah. <laughs> play with dirt and maybe see something grow in the end when I would send them the picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it wasn't, it didn't turn into a thing where I really like was able to have a discussion about mm. The, the actual work in some cases I did and I think that was fruitful in like sharing that labor because for the most part I've been the sole the sole maker of the segment and so kind of standing back and guiding individuals in that direction was an interesting flip for myself yeah. I I don't know if I enjoyed it. Just go. <laughs> I like this idea of sharing the labor, though. It's yeah, something, because yeah. this is a huge burden. Burden is probably the wrong word. It's a huge, I don't know, the mental capacity to dig through these, I guess, I don't know, databases of victims and constantly holding this space, like sharing the burden with other people sounds like a positive note in my mind. Yeah, I think it, it was, it definitely opened my eyes in a way that I hadn't looked at my practice before. Mm. And I think that kind of sharing of labor has also come through in unsterile soil because I've been working with writers to kind of give them an opportunity to produce something new, but Mm. also just to like expand the content beyond my work Mm. or expand like the themes and the discussion beyond just like looking at images of my work. And so that's, also been really interesting or I guess interesting is the most basic word that I can use but it puts me in a position where I am sharing that labor which feels like a a relief but it also puts me it feels like it puts me in a different role I don't necessarily feel like artists in that moment in those moments I feel more of like with unsterile soil specifically I feel more like curator or director and so those are interesting role flips that I haven't like really began to figure out how that plays within my art practice. Yeah. I've heard this from a couple of the artists that, again, this intersection of art and social impact of what is their identity in these projects that don't fully belong to them. And they're okay. created through like collaboration, either with an audience or a community or a group of other people. This like, there needs to be a new, I don't know, title because curator doesn't quite fit individual artists also doesn't do you create a new name for this new collaborative yeah that's interesting yeah yeah goes into Um, ownership it does go into ownership which I'm really been also thinking about kind of what happens when a maker other than myself makes a segment 
who owns that fund? Do I own it? Do they own it? Do we mm-hmm. co-own it? What are the terms of that that relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Those are things I'm thinking about. These are all great. I, I actually don't know how much time we've been talking, but I do want to ask you what's next. In particular, I know <laughs> you have some ideas for the segments and maybe in Stroke Soil in the future, but I figure I'd give you some space to talk about upcoming projects maybe. Yeah, well, before I do anything else, I'm going to take a break. Mm-hmm. That is <laughs> very... like a vacation. A vacation, but also just like a, a break. I'm going to take a break from my practice mm-hmm. for a little bit. I was in school from 2011 until 2018. And then I've just been like going nonstop since I graduated grad school in 2018. And so. I just need, I need a break to kind of sit back and look at my practice and the things that I've done and kind of honestly just figure out what is next. And it feels like a really good moment to do that because everything's been paused. Everything's been pushed back because of COVID. And so, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a break. I want to like read a book again (laughs) and do research and write and just like reconnect kind of with my practice now that I have done you know a few things and see and see where I want to go next amazing yeah seems like something that the nap ministry would greatly approve of (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I think that the that being said I do have plans for Uncero Soil Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure kind of what will happen with the site other than it just kind of living there and people can stumble upon it into the future. I'm not, I don't have any plans for new content quite yet, but I'm always interested in publications and thinking about Unsterile Soil as a, as a publication. There's no concrete plans for that, but it's something that I've been thinking about. And the segment, I've started to think about going back to co-owning them and like sharing that labor, but also someone having the opportunity to purchase them. Mm. Um, and so selling a segment um, in the form of a, an unknown segment. So when you get or you purchase the segment, you don't know who it's dedicated to. And I kind of go through the, the making and the growing process of the segment, document it, and then the purchaser gets a photograph and a kit to make a duplicate of that segment. Um, and so I'm really, I'm kind of excited about this like action that is happening, this like call to action. Uh, Cause if you purchase a segment, it is your responsibility into the future to donate kind of in honor of the victim that you, that you hold and you co-own or the segment that you co-own, not owning, owning, the mm-hmm. owning the memorial. And so part of the, the, the contract of co-owning that segment is to donate every year. How I'm going to like track that, I'm not really sure yet. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. <laughs> I will keep mulling over that. But that sounds fantastic. Yeah. So those are that's what's uh kind of on the docket. Okay. So some rest and some potential new projects. So, sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> much, much needed rest. 
Awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I appreciate all of your time and labor that goes into creating this fantastic work. It's been an absolute pleasure working with you and hopefully continue to get to work with you in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad we uh, got to have this talk and I look forward to working with you again in the future. All right. Well, thank you, Ashley. And I think that wraps up our podcast. All right. Thank you.